want to remind everybody before we begin with our lesson this morning about Vacation Bible School that starts in just about a week and a half, August 7th through the 9th here at the church building um, at 7 o'clock each night, so it's a Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night. We're going to have classes and activities for preschool all the way through adult. Now, um, most of the, the Vacation Bible School is focused more on the elementary age, but we are going to have a teen class. There's also going to be an adult Bible study session, too. Um, be here for that. We'd love to have this place packed. Invite your friends. Invite your neighbors. Invite kids who love to learn more about Jesus. Our theme is going to be kind of knights and castles. It's God's mighty kingdom. So um, invite lots of people. I think that's going to be a great time. So be sure to um, keep that in the back of your mind. Keep it in your prayers and keep promoting it wherever you go. Also wanted to announce that Armando Diaz was baptized into Christ yesterday, so praise God for that. So be sure to congratulate him afterwards and give him a hug and, and encourage him. We're glad for his commitment to Jesus Christ. We're excited about that. Um, one of the things as being a grown-up now that kind of bothers me is that I, I see in myself that I repeat a lot of the same mannerisms and the same phrases and, and do a lot of the same things that my dad did. So either good or bad, and usually it's just the cheesy ones are the ones that I repeat. I remember uh, we took a family trip, you know, this last week, and a lot of the, I took a lot of trips with my dad, and I remember some of the weird quirks that my dad would do while traveling. Like we'd be traveling along the countryside, and he'd look over, and there'd be a farm over there, and he'd go, hey! And we'd all look, and there'd be a hay, like a hay bale. Oh, he thought that was the greatest joke. We didn't think it was that funny because we'd be kind of dozing off and he'd yell, hey, and we'd all look over there. Another one that he would do that drove me insane. I thought this was nerdy. It's not funny. I don't know why he says it. He says it every single time. We already know he's going to say it. One of the things that he would do is that when we would get on a freeway, there'd be that freeway sign that says, begin freeway. What he would go, he goes, oh, we're on that begging freeway again. That was his line, begging freeway. And I thought, that's so nerdy. Why would you ever say that? Friday, I was driving down from Tahoe. <laughs> Highway 50, when you get into the Sacramento area, becomes a freeway. And the sign said, begin freeway. And even though I swore that I would never do it, I said, begging freeway. Look, kids, we're on the... Why? We do. We're, we're products of our upbringing, right? Whether we like to admit it or not, we do the things we saw growing up. We repeat the mannerisms and the behaviors of our parents, whether good or bad. Now, this doesn't have to be a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with a, a lame little joke about the freeway sign that for some reason you think is funny when you're a dad. But at the same time, we know that certain things in our childhood shape how we behave as adults. We know that when maybe children don't have the best upbringing, that a lot of times that sets them up for more challenges as they get older. I'm sure all of us have witnessed this at different times. Maybe you're at the store, and you see a parent interacting with their child, and they're interacting with their child in a way that you don't think is good. And, and it almost like really turns your stomach a little bit. You're thinking, no, what they're doing isn't right. Example, maybe you're at Target. And you see that kid throwing a fit because he's not or she's not getting the toy that they want. And they're crying and they're screaming and you're thinking, oh, yeah, that kid, you know, they, they need to, you know, be punished for how they're behaving. And then you see the parent give in finally to the crying child to get the child to be quiet. And you're thinking in the back of your mind, no, don't do it. 
Don't give in. Don't give that kid what they want because now they're going to think that all they got to do in life is whine and cry and then they get what they want. We understand that oftentimes kids that are spoiled, kids that get whatever they want, kind of grow up with maybe a sense of entitlement. Like, well, I should get whatever I want because I whined and cried about it. So then they become adults and they whine and cry and target and hopefully, you know, someone smacks them around a bit and doesn't give them what they want. But we understand that that kind of behavior can lead to entitlement, you know, later. At the same time, good upbringing can lead to good things. Maybe your mom and dad were always um, very, you know, complimentary of you. They encouraged you. They gave you positive criticism when you needed it, but also gave you lots of encouragement and helped you along the way to have a good life. We understand that if you had that growing up, as you get older, you develop, you know, certain traits of self-confidence. Mom and dad believed in me, so I believe in myself too. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. That's good upbringing. But all of us have probably experienced things in our growing up, in our upbringing that weren't always the best. Maybe, maybe in your household, mom and dad argued all the time. And as a kid, you were witnessing that, and, and you saw that, and that was always in the back of your mind. That leads to low self-esteem. That leads to a, a, a lack of self-worth. That leads to a lot of times acting out and bad behaviors later if that's something that you were exposed to growing up. You see the same thing with addictions. Maybe your mom or your dad, you know, had alcoholism or drug addiction, and that was the, the life that you saw growing up. That, that You knew it wasn't right, but yet you saw that. We know that that's, that's not healthy. At the same time, abuse. Maybe the household that you grew up in was a household of abuse, and, and that led later to you thinking that maybe that's the way you should act when you're angry because that's what you saw growing up. Maybe it wasn't abuse. Maybe it wasn't drug addiction or anything like that, but just neglect. Your parents didn't bother to engage you, and because of that, you maybe acted out in a way to try to get attention because you weren't getting that attention at home, or maybe it was your parents were more of those helicopter parents there were always giving you attention a little bit too much, and then you rebelled against it to try to get away. Our upbringing shape how we live as adults, whether it's a, a good upbringing, a happy home, a, a home full of faith and prayer, that shapes our future. So whether we like it or not, how we behave as adults is often a reflection of our upbringing, good or bad. I'm a reflection of my own upbringing. But at the same time, it doesn't have to be that way. If we had an upbringing that wasn't the best, if there was things in our past that were negative, things in our past that weren't healthy, things in our past that you know brought us down, we don't have to let those things affect us negatively. Oh yes, the past is still there. The past does shape certain ways that we view things, we do not have to be a reflection of that upbringing, especially if it's negative. We make the choice as adults on how we behave. Even if we had an upbringing that wasn't good, maybe we were witness to abuse, neglect, violence, addiction, that does not have to be us. At the same time, maybe we had a home full of prayer and love and support, but we chose to go against it. We make the choice, whether good or bad, to be that reflection of our upbringing. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look at a character study in the Old Testament that I think teaches this same idea, and that's the character of Joseph. And what I'd like to do, actually, for probably the next three Sundays, I have in mind to look at the life of this man 
in the Old Testament by the name of Joseph. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis. We'll be around chapter 35 to begin. But Joseph is a key character in the Old Testament, but he's also a good example of we do not have to be a product necessarily of our upbringing. Let's talk about Joseph's upbringing just for a second. Now, Joseph's family line is full of all sorts of drama. Just his own immediate family, I mean, we can go back to grandparents and great-grandparents, and there's lying, there's deceit, there's manipulation, there's violence, all sorts of bad stuff in this guy's life. But just Joseph alone, I don't know if you can see it on the screen, but Joseph right there is one of the 12 sons of a man named Jacob, whose name is later changed to Israel. 12 tribes of Israel are 12 sons of this guy. Okay, So Jacob had 12 sons. That already kind of might be slightly unusual, especially um, this day and age, but here's where his family even gets more dysfunctional. Jacob's kids were with four different people. Um, these four kids came from Leah, who was the older sister of his favorite wife later, Rachel. That by itself causes a lot of drama in the household. Oh, and he also had children with a slave of Leah and a slave of Rachel. So underneath this household, underneath this roof, you have four different babies, mamas, one baby daddy, and a whole bunch of drama, okay? It gets even worse because I believe Reuben later has relations with the same slave that dad did. It's all bad, okay? And yet they're all living together in this same wonderful, happy, functional family, right? No, there's a lot of drama in this family. And maybe you came from a background like that where, you know what, we don't know whose dad is who and whatever, but that's just how it is. That's kind of the, the life here of Joseph. So that's the family that Joseph comes from. And what we find out is that in this dysfunctional family, dad, Jacob, played favoritism. And we find out in Genesis chapter 37 that of all of his kids, of the 12 sons here, Joseph was his favorite. Joseph was the one that got all of the attention. Joseph was the one that got the special clothes. Let's keep reading. Genesis 37 verse 1. It says, now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan, and these are the records of the generation of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, so he's an older teenager now, 17 years old, he was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth along with the sons of Bilah and so on. Now we find out in verse 3 that Israel, also known as Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons. The Bible tells us that. So this isn't just my opinion that Jacob was, you know, showed favoritism toward you know, Joseph, this is in the text. We have this fact that Jacob showed favoritism toward Joseph. In fact, it says because he was the son of his old age. So he had Joseph when he was older, it was with his favorite wife, Rachel, and therefore he liked him the best. So much that he made him a special garment. Your Bible might say very colored tunic or a coat of many colors or coat with long sleeves. Doesn't matter. Okay, um, the Hebrew there is kind of vague. Hebrew is kind of a vague language. Um, it could mean that he gave him a special coat that had sleeves. It could mean that he gave him a coat that had you know, tassels or different colors or things on it. Anyway, Joseph got the special present and no one else did. Okay, He got the clothing that no one else had. Most of their garments back then would have been like a blanket, 
with a hole cut out for the top. You drape it over you like a poncho and cinch around your waist with like a belt or a, a rope. This one might have had sleeves and multiple colors shows preferential treatment. So Joseph is given this special coat and he's dad's favorite. That right off the bat, if you know there's favoritism in your household, it causes problems with the children. If they think you like her or you like him more than you like me, there's going to be conflict. But it gets worse. Joseph also has dreams, and I think it's guided by God because God is with him, but he has some dreams that make his brothers even more angry. You already have the reputation of being daddy's favorite, and now you're having dreams that talk about how you're better than everybody. The wise advice would be to keep it to yourself. Joseph doesn't do that. We read on Genesis 37, verse 5. It said, then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Wow, what was this dream? He said to him, please listen to this dream. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf rose up and stood up. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to mine. Basically says, here's my dream. I put together a bunch of wheat, and it stood up in front of all of yours, and your wheat bowed down to my wheat. If you already got the reputation of being the favorite, might not want to tell your brothers that, hey, by the way, I know I'm the youngest, but you're going to bow down before me. His brothers, they didn't like it. They said, are you really going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. He keeps going. Now he had another dream, verse 9. And he told his brothers, now it's not about wheat anymore, it's about the stars. He says, lo, I still had another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars. Hmm, let's see, 12 suns, one of them's you, 11 are left. You're saying that 11 stars are bowing down to you and the moon and everything else. So now you're ruling the universe now, Joseph, right? Kind of got a big ego. You get a special coat, now you think the universe worships you. It's kind of what's going on. So he has this dream. And he tells it to his father and to his brothers. And even his father said, look, what are you doing? Are you thinking that we're going to bow down to you? Verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So he has these dreams. The brothers are jealous. They don't like him. He's dad's favorite. There's a lot of dysfunction going on in this house now. You have a favorite child. You have jealous siblings. In fact, you have siblings that the text says on multiple occasions hate him. Not a healthy home life. Oh, and by the way, your brothers are actually kind of your half-brothers because they're all with a bunch of different ladies. And all those ladies are living in the same place too. I imagine there was a lot of drama in Jacob's household. Well, it gets worse. The brothers get so angry about, their, about Joseph, they decide that they're going to, well, they're going to kill him. That's their plan. We go on in verse 12. Actually, sorry, in verse 18. Uh, when they saw him from a distance, and before he came close to them, this, so the brothers are out shepherding their flocks. Joseph is coming up to him, and now all the brothers are getting together, and they're plotting, according to verse 18, to put him to death. And they said to one another, so here's what, they, oh, here comes the dreamer. Here comes Mr. Big Dream about bowing to everybody, bowing down for him. Here comes special coat kid that thinks he's all number one in the family. So they plot against him to put him to death. In verse 20, it says, Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say, A wild beast devoured him, and then let us see what it will become of his dreams. They're like, I got an idea. Let's kill him, 
throw him in a pit, and then we'll see what happens with his dreams then. You know, my kids have threatened to kill each other before. They haven't gotten to this point. I know they've come in. Usually it's, I'm going to kill Owen, or I'm going to kill this, or that. Right? That happens. Siblings say that. We tell them not to say that. We remind them of this story, no, but um, it, it happens. But this is more than just an empty threat. This isn't just, oh, he won't get out of the bathroom, or oh, he left toys in my room, or oh, they broke my Lego statue. It's none of that stuff. It's deeper. This is true hatred here and dysfunction. They decide they're going to try to kill him. Now, Reuben hears this. He's the oldest. Reuben says, no, let's, let's not take his life. Let's shed no blood, verse 22. Let's just throw him in the pit, kind of rough him up a little bit, and then dad will come and rescue him later. Still not right, okay? People are like, Reuben's trying to save him. No, he's still saying let's rough him up a bit. Not healthy. He's not saying let's get the cops. My brothers are crazy. That's not what he does. So it came about that when Joseph reached his brothers, that they stripped him of his tunic, the various colored one that was on him, and they threw him into the pit, and it was empty, and there's no water in it. So he could die down there. So they throw him in there, and it's kind of like an empty well. And while he's down there, it says they sat down to eat their meal. This is some kind of sadistic behavior here. We're going to throw him in a pit, and now, let's, hey, let's have a picnic. As I imagine, he's still screaming in the pit, right? Let me out. What are you doing? You know, when dad finds out about this, you know, all of that, they're sitting down and eating. And now while they're eating, it says, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites or Midianites, depending on your version, were coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them to Egypt. So they're having a picnic while their brother's screaming in a pit. And here comes a caravan of traders heading from Midian to down to Egypt. And they see this. And Judah, another brother, says, what profit is it for us to kill him and cover up his blood? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother in our own flesh. And his brothers listen to him. So Judah, now the voice of reason here, he goes, look, look, look. Why don't we sell him? He's our brother. We don't want to kill him. We just want to make him a slave forever and never know, hear from him again. So he decides to do that. At least this way we can make money off of him. So now they decide to do that. So they sell him to these Midianite traders and they pull him up and lift him up out of the pit and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. By the way, too, those are technically like their second or third cousins, too. If you look at how the history unfolds here, that's one big dysfunctional family. Now, you're selling one cousin to the other branch of the family. So they do that. So the Midianites show up. Joseph is in a pit screaming. They don't go, hey, well, how come that kid's down there? They just go, oh, hey, you want to sell him? They give him 20 bucks, and they take Joseph, and he goes on his merry way. So Joseph ends up being sold by the Midianites to some Egyptians. Then Reuben finds out about this, and there's kind of this whole question about how much Reuben knew. But ultimately, they put um, blood on the coat of Joseph, give it to the dad, and said, oh, a wild animal ate him. And so thus, Jacob, the dad, is upset, mourning, believing that his son is dead. Not a really good way to spend your teenage years. Teenage years in a household of jealousy, of violence, of favoritism, of neglect, of plotting, of scheming, of evil. Not a good upbringing. But like we said at the beginning, 
How we behave as adults is often a reflection of our upbringing, but only if we let it. We make the choice. Well, what happened here with Joseph? Joseph didn't let that situation ruin his life. I mean, if, I, mean I know a lot of us have had some bad upbringings, but that's a pretty bad one. Brothers try to kill you, throw you in a pit, and sell you into slavery. If you've had that happen to you, talk to me. I'd like to hear the story. But, I mean, usually that's not what we're dealing with. But that happened to Joseph. How did Joseph respond? Well, we skip ahead to chapter 39. Joseph is now in Egypt because he was sold to Egyptians. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there, which, I, again, Ishmaelites mean they're his cousins. They might have already known each other. And the whole way in the caravan, I wonder if he's saying, guys, come on, we're, we're family, what are you doing? That text doesn't mention that, but they were related. Um, so they take him down to Egypt there. Verse 2, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant and made him an overseer over his house and all that he had owned, he put him in charge. And it came about that from this time he made him overseer in his house over all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus, the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him he did not concern himself with anything except the food from which he ate. And the text also tells us that Joseph was handsome. But here we go. Joseph, after his life was falling apart, chose success. Why? Because the text tells us on multiple occasions that he chose the Lord. The Lord was with him. He made the choice, even though his life was horrible, to choose God. And because of that, God was with him and blessed him so much that even though he was sold into slavery, he's ultimately ruling over the people now in, in a section of Egypt because of the fact that he chose the Lord. So here's my lesson for us. Your life growing up might have been garbage. It might have been horrible. It might have been awful. It might have been abuse. It might have been neglect. It might have been addiction. It might have been violence. It might have been all sorts of things. You don't have to be a reflection of that. Joseph's life was bad. His brothers tried to kill him and put him in a pit and sold him into slavery, trafficked on into Egypt. But you know what he did? He chose the Lord. So much the text says the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. You want to be successful? Choose God. Don't choose to let negative things in your past shape your future. Yeah, he came from an upbringing where he was spoiled. He was probably a spoiled little brat at one time. Because dad showed him favoritism. But he was also hated by his brothers. He was abused by them and abandoned. But that's not what is mentioned later in the text. In Genesis 39, in just five verses, it mentions, or in six verses, it mentions five times the word, the Lord. Because the Lord was with Joseph. So Joseph is a lesson for us. And what do you choose? Do you choose to be a product of your upbringing, or do you choose to follow God? See, your childhood doesn't have to necessarily matter. Your past doesn't have 
to matter. You do not have to be a reflection of the negative events in your life. What we have to do is to make the choice to move past our past. We have to make the choice to choose the Lord. And when we do that, we will choose success. Now the story of Joseph goes on, and we'll look more about that in weeks to come. But I think we can learn from this right here so much because so often we make excuses in life. Well, that's just how I was brought up. I didn't grow up in the same kind of life you did. I didn't have the same blessings that you had growing up. I didn't, experience, I didn't have a mom and dad that were there. I didn't learn the Bible. I didn't go to church as a kid. You know, we make these excuses. It doesn't matter. We make the choice to follow the Lord. And it says the Lord was with Joseph and he was successful. You might have experienced all sorts of failure in your life. Your parents may have been failures. Your siblings may have been failures. You may have failed in your past. But you can choose success when you choose the Lord. The lesson is yours this morning. If you need to choose to follow the Lord today, we want to help you. We'll pray with you. We'll baptize you into Jesus Christ if you've never done that. And we'll help you in any way that we can to choose Him. We want you to be successful. Now, that might not mean earthly success when it comes to riches and power and fame, but it will be spiritual success if you choose to follow your Lord. Don't ride on the coattails of your parents' faith or lack of it. Instead, choose yourself to be faithful to Jesus. If you have a need, why don't you come as together we stand and sing our invitation song.